Haggai chapter number 1. In all honesty, folks, I, I really don't think that I'm preaching here this morning. I think that more than anything, I'm presenting. I'm presenting the truth that God's already laid out here. And I would encourage all of us that if the Word of God means something to us, really the preacher doesn't have to do a whole lot other than just draw attention to what God has specifically said. And I believe as we read Haggai chapter number 1, if you have a heart for God at all, if you are saved, I think that uh, you'll be able to relate to some things that God lays out here in His Word for all of us. In the second year of Darius the king... In the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie in waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Ye have sown much, and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm, and he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood, and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Ye looked for much, and lo, it came to little." And when ye brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is waste, and ye run every man unto his own house. Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, the earth is stayed from her fruit, and I called for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil. And upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labor of the hands. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people did fear before the Lord." Then spake Haggai the Lord's messenger in the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. They came and did work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God." In the four and twentieth day of the sixth month in the second year of Darius the king. My message this morning is entitled, The Traction Challenge. I'll explain more about that as we get into the message this morning. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for this message and the messenger of Haggai the prophet. 
Lord, we know that he spoke the word of the Lord. He spoke your message, and he was your messenger. And Lord, we ask that you would enable us to be your messenger today, and that this message that you've laid out would be the message that we would receive and take to our heart here today. Uh, Father, I can relate to the people here. Uh, Lord, I think there's been a lot of spinning of wheels and, Lord, a lot of just complacency and, Lord, a lot of discontentedness and, Lord, a lot of faithful people that certainly doing much, much better than when they were lost and without Christ. And, Lord, I'm preaching to some people that have been faithful over the years, but, God, it's so easy to drift away and to lose our passion and to lose our zeal. And God, help us to get back on track. Use this message in a mighty way. And if anyone is here today that is without Jesus Christ, I pray that something would be said, something would be thought or felt, God, that would lead them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The nation of Israel didn't really realize how far they had slipped away from God. And the the Bible says about slipping and about sliding. In fact, if I use the term backsliding, I'm sure that people who live in the Bible Belt here, you've heard of people talking about backsliding and being backslidden. And some people think that being backslidden means that you lose your salvation. And that is certainly not the case. If you're saved then you can rest assured that you're saved forever. Jesus regenerated you. You're born again, and you don't get born again again and again and again. You, it's not something that you lose. It's something that you receive, and God's the one that keeps you. But I do know that there are some people that think that they're saved, and they really don't know what salvation is, and they've never truly had a personal faith in Jesus Christ. And If you're like that here today, then a passion or a zeal for God is something that's probably a little bit foreign to your memory. You've never felt what God has done for you. And I remember when I got right with the Lord, I lived some pretty evil years in my high school days. Just before I turned 20, the Holy Spirit got a hold of my heart, and I yielded to Him, and God changed my life drastically, and I can remember that first love and that passion and that zeal that I had for God. I didn't care about anything else in this world other than God, and I've certainly had times since then that i felt the same way, but I've also had times where, just as I'm sure that you can say, that I've drifted away, I've got in a rut become complacent, become apathetic. We all are prone to wander, and Israel was in a wandering spiritual condition, but they didn't realize just how far that they had slipped away from God. The Bible talks about a backsliding heifer. Now, I've certainly been in situations where I've tried to get traction only to slip and to slide. I can remember out west working uh, working with cattle, that there were times where we'd be out in a holding pen in the middle of winter, and all of the holding pen, whether it be ice and snow or the other things that you find in a holding pen of cows, were all frozen solid. And I can remember 
going out and roping a heifer because the heifer needed a shot. It needed to be doctored. You finally get that rope around that heifer. I'm not talking about a little one. I'm talking about a big one. You get that rope around their neck and then they decide that they want to be on the other side of the holding pen. You got rubber milking boots on. Not a whole lot of traction. And so you lose your traction and they drag you on your belly across that frozen holding pen and you've, you've worked for an hour to try to get that rope around that cow and so you just hold on for dear life as they drag you across. Man, I've had some bruises and some cuts and scrapes all on my belly from being drug across that frozen holding pen. No doubt we've all had times where you just can't get traction. Maybe it's a, maybe the, there's been some rain on some clay mud and maybe there's been some ice or what have you. Traction is something that's one thing, but that backsliding heifer that God speaks about, I heard a preacher say this, and I don't know that this is true. I tried to research it and I don't know where he got it, but it still, it left an impression in my mind. He said that backsliding heifer is when they get a rope around that heifer and they're trying to lead it and they're trying to train it to follow the other cows. If, if you know, cows that go out in the pasture during the day, they, they know when to come into the milk barn or they know when they come, when it's time to get fed or time to get watered and they, they create a routine and they're, they're creatures of habit. That heifer doesn't know all of that. So oftentimes the, 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 the farmer or the rancher will put a rope around that heifer and try to lead that heifer to follow the other cows so that it can get accustomed to what it needs to do. Now oftentimes that heifer with the rope around its neck, the, you're trying to pull it one way and it's digging in and it's sliding back this way because it's resisting what it needs to do. Heard a preacher say that that's what a backsliding heifer is. It's not one that's walking and slips down the hill, but it's one that's being led in one direction and it's just sliding backward trying to resist. I'm sure that you can relate to that in your Christian life. Many of these to whom Haggai is preaching had been faithful through some very difficult times. They had labored Get a load of this. They had labored to build the foundation of the temple. You go to the book of Ezra. You want to read more about what Haggai is talking about. Ezra chronicles it. And they laid the foundation of the temple. Cyrus the king had given the decree. Yes, we're going to allow this to happen. And so many of those that were in captivity went back. But one thing you need to remember is that the entire nation of Israel did not were not taken captive to Babylon. Only the select few. The majority of the people, the people that weren't of royalty, the people who didn't have any specific gifts or talents or abilities that the king of Babylon wanted for his kingdom, just the plain Jane people like me and many of you, they just left them there in the land. Without a king without all of the government, not without their government, that is, and they were just left to fend for themselves. Then when many of the nobles came back after the king had said, hey, I want you to rebuild the temple, and no doubt, probably the influence of people like Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah that 
our Sunday school kids learned about here this morning, their influence no doubt turned the heart of a pagan king to say, yeah, I'm going to let you go back, rebuild your temple, and I'm even going to help pay for it. So these faithful people of God had rebuilt the foundation. When they went to look, when the foundation was laid, they came out and looked at it, and all of the new younger people looked at it, and they're rejoicing, but the older people that remembered the old temple, they're weeping. Because the new one, it wasn't as good as the old one. But the younger generation, they were just rejoicing to get a temple. You know, oftentimes, generationally speaking, older people can look back at the good old days, and if you're not careful, older saint of God, you can be, you can sure be a wet blanket on the zeal of this younger generation. You know, we all do the best we can with what we've got to work with. You know, there's a lot of times we're growing up in a, uh, we're in a generation that this is not the easiest time and place to serve Jesus Christ. But rather than gripe about it, we ought to be trying to build up the next generation. We ought to, we ought to not wait for them to be the spark plug. We're the ones that have, we've seen what it's supposed to be like. Rather than gripe and complain, maybe we ought to try to help the next generation. That's what Haggai's doing. And so they rebuilt the foundation of the temple, but then the work stopped. There were some enemies in the land as they're rebuilding the temple. You know what those enemies did? They, they had this attitude. They're resisting the work of God. And they realized that we're not going to be able to stop this. We've made fun of them. We've tried to get the, the pagan king's soldiers here to stop them, but they can't undo the king's decree. And so they decided, if you can't beat them, join them. And so they said, let us help you out. And of course, Ezra and Zerubbabel and all of these leaders looked at these pagans and said, you don't have anything to do with the temple of God. And so they shunned them. And of course, they were scorned and shunned. And so they thought, well, we're going to pull out the stop. So they wrote a letter to the king it got sent all the way back to, to uh, the king there in, uh, of the Persians. The king reads it, and, you know, they made, a, they made a somewhat accurate accusation. They said, if you let this be rebuilt, they're going to rebel against you. They've got a history of rebelling against kings. And so they searched it out, and sure enough, it was true. So the king made another decree and said, stop it. I want the work to cease. About 15 years had passed by. And here's what they're saying. They're saying, it's not time. It's not time. But that's not the way that the Lord saw it. Now, if you look at this, here's a bunch of people. I want to repeat this because it's worth repeating. They had been faithful. They hadn't given up on God. Nowhere is God saying, you don't care about my temple. He's simply saying that you care about something else more than my work and my house. They were faithful, but they were no longer fruitful. 
So what does God do? He sends his word. He sends a messenger, a man. Folks, we need a revival today. This text, Haggai chapter number one, has been a revival text. I don't know how many preachers have preached revival out of this text. I think you'd have to agree it's a pretty good text. Like I said earlier, I don't don't know if I'm preaching this or just presenting it. The fact of the matter is, we ought to just be able to read chapter number one. You shouldn't even need a preacher to preach this. It's already been preached. Haggai preached it. So what we need is we need to figure out some way to take it to heart. You know, if you're waiting, so many of people are saying we're praying for a revival because we need a revival to motivate us to obedience. But in reality, we see here that it's our obedience that motivates God to sending a revival. The problem with not having a revival in our midst is not God's problem, it's ours. He wants to bless us. He, the description that Haggai gave the people here, you, you sow and you bring in little, you earn wages and you put on clothes, but you're not, everything's just futile. You're not getting anywhere. You're just, you're just slipping and sliding. You got no traction. You're not, you're going through the motions. Every one of us can relate to that. And especially this day and age. It's our obedience that motivates the Lord to send a revival. So how can we stop spinning our wheels and get some traction? Well, let me just draw your attention to the things that that Haggai had to say. Number one, we need to understand the time. We need to understand the time. They didn't. It's not time to rebuild the Lord's house. And the Lord's saying, where'd you get that? You didn't get that from me. I know oftentimes I I use my smartphone for my calendar, and I can remember the day when desk calendars and wall calendars were of utmost importance. In fact, I had a day timer that I always kept track of my appointments. One time I lost it, and I told somebody, I lost my brain today, because that had all of my notes and appointments. And sometimes, you know, there were times where I'd have to make appointments out three, four months in advance, and It's like, oh no, I lost my brain. That calendar was important. I'm sure that many of you have had times where you've hung a calendar on the wall and you get so used to that calendar being there that the new year comes along and it's April and the previous year's calendar is still on the wall. If you've done that, raise your hand. I think we've all done that. Do you know what though? That's, that can be dangerous. I've had times where I pulled my phone out and I've set something, I've set an appointment, not realizing that somehow my finger had slid over it and I wasn't in September, I was in October. And we are, you know, I'm on the phone, it's like, okay, let's do it for, let's do it for the 17th. And so I put it down for the 17th, but I'm in the wrong month. We need to understand the time. They didn't, and God's people today don't understand the time. Verse number two, the time has not come. Verse number four, God says, 
Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses? That sealed, that's the root word of sealing. You know, he, he, he's saying, you, you're building houses. That, I'm sure that for years they'd probably been living in tents because of the decimation of Jerusalem. And so it's like they, they were a little bit weary of living in tents. Not that the climate couldn't handle it. If you're going to live in a tent, Palestine's probably the most cooperative climate to live in a tent. Pretty dry and arid, not a whole lot of rain. You get it from time to time, but living in a tent's not a big deal in that area. But they decided it's time we're going to build our house. We got this. We can't build the temple. And so they just got accustomed to not thinking about God's priorities, but rather just thinking about their own needs. Listen, God knows that you have needs. There's nothing wrong with building a house. There's nothing wrong with having goals and dreams and ambitions. There's nothing wrong with taking vacations. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, buying that toy. But God's not saying to the people here that it's wrong for you to build your own house. Their problem was they didn't understand the time. You know, this temple is not something, this isn't a monument you know, sometimes we think that the church is some monument. We drive by, you, you drive by churches every time you go to stores. You see the steeple and some churches are little plain and simple and others are very elaborate. But they're not a monument. God's church has a spiritual meaning. God's house was not a monument for the whole world to see. It had a functional purpose. The house of God here was where the sacrifices took place in order for the people to get cleansed of their sin, get right with God, and get back on track. They'd gone almost 70 years without a blood sacrifice in God's place, and all of the sins of the nation had built up. They didn't have that Passover lamb. They didn't have that sacrificial where the high priest would present that sacrifice for the whole nation. They hadn't been having that. It was pretty important. Their salvation and their souls were connected. Their relationship with God was connected to this temple. And they're thinking, well, it's just not time yet. You know what? Times are difficult today. We just had what? 47 years of pandemic? Oh, I'm sorry, it was only three, but it seemed like 47. And now they're talking about, you know, we got a couple families in our church tested positive. We certainly need to pray. I think there's another strain going around, but praise the Lord, it seems what I'm hearing is it's just a, you know, a real bad cold, you know, kind of flu-like symptoms, nothing to panic about, but I sure don't like when they start talking about it. I feel like that we're barely, barely starting. I, I had a, I had a, a lady broke down right over here by CVS here a few months back. And her car was right there in the middle of the road. And I'd seen that, uh, that somebody had pulled over to help her and she's just sitting right there in the middle of the road. And I thought this lady's not going to be able to help the lady that's in the car. And it's a big, uh, Ford SUV. And 
So I pulled over and it says, hey, can I help you? And I said, let me push you off the road. And so me and I thought this other lady that had pulled over that we were going to push this other lady off the road. And so, man, I get my hands there on the on the, the, the front of the SUV and I get a little bend in my legs and I start pushing. You know, the first couple pushes, yes, that thing ain't wanting to move. It's like, ah! And then I look over and this lady's not even doing anything. <laughs> Thanks a lot. You know, if you're going to do that, at least clap for me or something. So finally, I get that thing just barely moving. And then as you get a little momentum, moves a little easier. And this was a little uphill, by the way. Nothing major, but just a little. And so the, the more it moves, the easier it is to push. And next thing you know, it's like I'm feeling, oh, I'm getting this thing going pretty good. I must have been going pushing too fast because the lady behind the wheel, she hits the brakes. I'm like, no, don't do that. Now I got to start over. Well, you know how it is. You just, I feel like that after all of the pandemic as, as a church family, I feel like we're just at the beginning where we're just starting to get a little bit of momentum. And I'm hearing all of this talk about this new strain coming out. And now they're saying you got to wear a mask. And I'm like... <laughs> It, it, it's like that lady hitting the brakes. As a pastor, I'm going, no! I don't want to hear that. Times are difficult. I know, LGBTQ+. All of the things that we're fighting against in the school system and the media and Hollywood and Disney and all of the corrupt teachings and influences and the economy and the election coming up, all of these things, they just weigh on you. And yeah, it's true. We're living in some difficult times, but God's calendar, what does God's calendar say? Listen to this, Romans 13, verse number one, and that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep for now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. That's not talking about when you got saved. That's talking about when we all get saved, when that trumpet sounds and God gets us out of here. Now it's high time to awake out of sleep. Hey, if you've been in church any length of time, you've heard the preacher preach this one. You ready? Hebrews ten twenty five. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some. You've heard a preacher say that because you're not coming to church faithfully. There's empty pews. The church is declining in attendance. And so preachers will remind you that God says we're not supposed to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Listen to this. As the manner of some is but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. What time is it, folks? It ain't the time to say it ain't the time. It's the time to take heed and say, you know what? 
I need to start seeing today from God's calendar and not my own. Number two, it says in verse 5 and 7 to consider your ways. Consider your ways. Oftentimes I will, an invitation, you'll hear me say, you know, if God spoke to your heart, why don't you come down to the altar? And I know some people, we, we have missions conference where we have faith promise missions and we'll, you know, the preacher or myself will say, hey, you, you, you commit, you pledge to give what God's told you to give. And many Christians are like, I, I don't know what to do with that. I'm not feeling anything. I'm not, I'm not hearing anything. You know, God's saying here, consider your ways. The Holy Spirit's already said it. The preacher is just telling you what the Holy Spirit has already told you to do. You can't sit there and go, well, God's not speaking to me. Yes, he is. Clear as crystal. Consider your ways. Not a guilt trip. No one can consider your own ways better than you can, other than God, because he does know your ways, by the way. What is considering? It's a thoughtful contemplation in regard to what needs to be, I'm not cussing here, changed. We hate it. We hate it so much that change is a curse word. Considering your ways is God saying, you need to think about what you need to fix, what you need to change. Look at verse number 8. Number 3. It says, go up to the mountain. Go up to the mountain and bring wood. Well, you know, if you're going to go up to the mountain, you've got to have some traction, right? You've got to have some traction. Deer hunting and here in this area is, I'm not saying it's easy, but compared to out west, it's not as, I mean, you can basically drive to within a few hundred yards of where you're hunting and get in a tree stand or a ground blind and you can sit there for four or five hours and wait for the deer to come to you. It's not that way out west. Out west, you've got to go up to the mountain. And I have hiked some mountains hunting for deer, mule deer and elk out west in those Rocky Mountains where, I mean, they'll make a man out of you. Every step, you're feeling, a little bit of loose gravel, a little bit of looseness here, and you're wanting to slide back because it's steep. It's steep, and it's high elevation, and getting up that ridge and getting up to where you need to be. One of the worst things that I ever did was start at the top of the ridge and then go hunting down from the ridge. Because then if you kill something, you got to pack it up. You're a whole lot better to start out and hunt up. Now, sometimes hunting is easier to come in from above them, but, you know, there's no perfect scenario. It's work. But God says here, go up to the mountain. Why? Because that's where the wood is. It's not easy. You can't just camp out in the valley. You can't, t- you can't just take the easy route. It's going to take something that's going to require some energy, some purpose. 
in order to get up there to get the wood so that you can get the wood back here to build my house. Number four, obviously it says to build the house of the Lord. What is the Lord's house today? We don't worship at the temple in Jerusalem. We don't have blood sacrifices like the Jewish people did. But I want to remind all of us, there are two things in the New Testament that God says are his house. Number one is obvious, and that is the church. Paul told Timothy that thou mightest know how to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. That's the local church. It's called the house of God. But then also as believers, our body is called the house of God, the temple of the spirit of God who lives inside of us. I think that if you've been around here any length of time, you know that this is not one of those preachers that's trying to build a large church here. We're not trying to fill this place up. I think it would be awesome if that were to happen. Every preacher would love to preach to a full congregation. Hey, if you got a message of Jesus Christ and a message of hope and you got truth that can help people, obviously anybody would love to be able to help more people rather than fewer people. But so many of these mega ministries out there, all they care about is just getting people in the pew. Listen, we're not interested in using you to build this church. This church is interested in using this ministry to build you, your life, your heart, your sanctification, your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what God has called us to do, not to build Temple Baptist Church, but to build you as part of this church, our lives and our hearts. That's what God wants us to build. Go up to the mountain and get some wood and build the house of the Lord. And look at verse number 12. Verse number 12, the people are responding. They obey the voice of the Lord, their God. And look at the last phrase of verse number 12. And the people did fear before the Lord. They feared. You know, you're not going to change. You're not going to move until you have something. Listen, I, I know that our salvation is not dependent upon our emotions. But you know what? When we respond to the word of God, there should be some feeling here. The heart has some feeling. And these people, they're feeling the fear of God. And they're recognizing that, you know what? We haven't been right. We've been being selfish. We've been just doing our own thing. We've not been getting anywhere. And so the word of God came and they recognized that, hey, we've got to change. We've got to fix this. And they responded to the message of God by the messenger of God. And it says that they, they got that fear of God back in their life. They hadn't lost it completely. It had just cooled off a little bit. If they had lost the fear of God completely, they wouldn't have been listening to this message. But they just recognized that, you know what? God's right. And they feared him. They felt something, and that motivated them to do something. 
In conclusion, I want you to look at verse number 13. Verse 13 and verse number 14. Let's read it once again. Then spake Haggai, the Lord's messenger, and the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. As I conclude this morning, I want to remind you that you're not in this alone. God sends a message and he says, you need to understand what time it really is. You need to consider your ways. You need to go up to the mountain. You need to build my house. You need to fear me, but I'm not leaving it all on you. That's the grace of God right there. You can't do anything on your own. I can't and you can't. We need God's presence with us. God is with you and you're not in this alone. I have a, uh, I have a list here and we're getting ready to start a, um, I don't know what else to call it. I, I, I've been concerned as a pastor. I've been concerned for quite some time that you start seeing, you know, if you live the way the people of God were living here in Haggai 1, your faithfulness can keep you going for a while. But after a while, you're going to, it's just going to be hard to just keep hanging in there. It's going to be hard to be staying faithful when you're not getting any fruit, when you're just spinning your wheels, when everything that you're doing is just like got holes in it. You can't seem to get anywhere and you can't seem to get any traction. Listen, God bless and God help everyone who just says, hey, I'm going to stick it. I'm going to stick with God. I'm going to be steady. I'm going to be faithful. I'm not going to quit. That's great. But I'm always concerned as a pastor, how long and how far can that take even the best of people if the heaven is stayed above, if we haven't experienced God, if we haven't felt his presence in our life, if he hasn't blessed us, we haven't seen somebody saved, the gospel is just seems like it's water on a duck's back. How long can we just keep going? Well, I know for me personally, I, I want to be determined that no matter what happens, I'm going to stay faithful. That's good. I'm not minimizing that. God's not minimizing that. He's just simply saying it's time that we recognize we don't have to keep living this way. I've been concerned. I've been praying about this for a long time and finally got the green light. I have a piece of paper in front of me and there's a table out there in the foyer and this is a 10-week traction challenge. And I got a list here of some things that we as a church, I say we, not just me, but the other leaders and staff here in the church, that we all know what we need to be doing. We all know the wood that we need to get from the top of the mountain. We just need to go get it. Some things here like Bible reading and personal devotion, Sunday school lessons, attending church and passing out tracts. I'm not going to go over all of this list here. You can get this list on the table. But we're going to do something that hopefully will be fun. It'll be a challenge. 
have a little competition. You say, well, what competition? That's not very spiritual. I, I, I know, I get it. Having fun with something, that's not necessarily a revival. I know, I get it. But I believe we've got to get some wood off of the mountain and get some traction before we're actually going to get where we need to be. We've got to break some chains of things that we have become accustomed to living with or without that we've got to get back to what God wants us to have in our life. And that's what many of this is listed. Now, let me say this. I do have on this list that you can, you can uh, get credit for your team if you attend prayer meeting. But I don't have anything on here that represents personal prayer time. I do have Bible reading on here, and I'm not minimizing Bible reading. It's a spiritual exercise that we go through. But prayer time is a very personal and a very spiritual thing. And I don't want to make that about points and winning and competing and all of that. So all of these things, you need to know your pastor is not saying do any of these at the expense of spending time in prayer and personal worship of the Lord. I'm hopeful that all of these things will lead you into more of a personal, prayerful worship of the Lord. So don't minimize that, but we're going to have the men versus the ladies. And I don't know if you've ever seen, I know Brother Spencer's got a Jeep. You ever seen where they, you ever seen rubber ducks lined along the Jeep dash? Well, that's going to be our traction challenge. Instead of earning a point or a check mark or whatever, you're going to earn a duck to put on your windshield. And whenever you fill out a scorecard, just kind of like a punch card when you go to the coffee shop, whenever you fill your windshield with ducks, you turn it in and your team gets a duck. And we're going to keep track for 10 weeks and we're going to see where God will bring us just a little challenge, a little bit of fun, go up to the mountain and bring some wood. I don't know what God's going to do with it, but hey, I'd rather as your pastor, I told Brother Max this, my my verse for this is back in the Old Testament, I think it was when uh, one of the kings, might have been Ahab, got killed in the battle. It says that someone on the other side, that they drew a bow at a venture. They just shot it into the crowd. Well, that's what I'm doing with this. I'm just, I'd rather just shoot into the crowd and hopefully hit something. I've asked two of our young adults, our newest adults in the church, Brother Spencer and Sister Zoe, to be team leaders. They're going to be out there in the foyer taking sign-ups. And I want to encourage you to participate. Sign up for this and uh, participate in this traction challenge. And let's see if maybe God won't start giving us some spiritual blessings as we start doing the things faithfully and consistently that we already know that we're supposed to do. We just need to get accustomed to doing it. I hope that you'll prayerfully participate. And I do, more than that, hope and pray that this will be something very, very good for your Christian life and hopefully for the good of this church collectively. My last question in my sermon, if you want to call it a sermon this morning, is will you take the traction challenge? 